Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. We've been in a series at the moment called Thrive, where we're talking about the power of community. And in reality, all we're doing is just shedding light on what the Bible says about doing life together. We're just putting our attention and focus on what God would say to us as His people. And today I wanted to talk to you about being the real ones. Can you say, be real? Be real. Could, could you say it like you mean it? Be real. Be real. I, I don't know what you think of when you hear that, but it seems to be a thought that I come back to often is, I'm just searching for the real. I, I, I'm looking for things that have weight to them, that last, that stand the test of time. Real things Last, real things leave a legacy. Real things can be interacted with and engaged with. Real things stand the test of time. You know, recently I found out that the first movie I ever watched in my entire life this year, not I didn't watch my first movie this year, (laughs) sorry. The movie that I watched for the first time ever when I was a kid turned 40 years old this year. And I'm not quite 40. And this movie celebrated its 40th anniversary. And I love the fact that I can jump on YouTube and just catch up on some of the key scenes to remember because this movie still to this day has a lasting impact on me because it's the very first movie I ever remember watching. It's the first thing that wasn't a cartoon that I sat down and watched on a television screen with my family. It wasn't Transformers, it wasn't Thundercats, it wasn't the Ninja Turtles. It was a real living, breathing movie and it devastated me. See, the movie was about a traveller who got stranded and marooned in a foreign land. And as he's stranded and marooned in a foreign land, he is forced to connect with and engage with the local people so that he can find a way to contact his people so that he can be rescued. In the process, he has to learn a language that he does not know. He has to engage with a culture that is so foreign to him that he struggles to understand it. See, he he lives completely isolated and completely dependent on the people around him to help him every step of the way because everything that he has been left in is completely foreign to him. And without the help and support of those around him, he would perish. While all this is going on, while he's desperately trying to contact his people, He's being relentlessly pursued by local authorities who are seeking to imprison him and lock him away. This movie that still lasts with me today is called E.T. the Extraterrestrial. (laughs) It's true though. It's true. Everything I said was true. He's stranded, marooned. He had to engage with local people. Now, let me just be clear, this message is not a commentary about whether angels, uh, angels, aliens are real or not, but that movie is real. And that is the very first movie I ever watched. And I have to say, if, if you haven't seen E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which turns 40 years old this year, I'm gonna spoil it for you right now. And I'm so sorry to do so. But partway through the movie, for some reason, E.T., this little plant-like stubby, ugly creature, turns all pasty white and dies. And in that moment 
I remember sitting there next to my younger brother, Matt, almost wanting to reach out and grab his hand because I'd never seen something die on television before. The Ninja Turtles beat Shredder every time. Nobody died. Just think about it for a minute. They're using ninja stars and swords and Raphael's got this pokey thing. Never at any moment did they kill anybody. The Thundercats, they just wore funky clothes and just ran around the jungle. Nobody died. Transformers, they're robots, they just get repaired. But this movie, E.T. dies. And I didn't know the end of the story. So when he dies in the movie, I legit thought he was dead. And I cried and bored and thought, this thing is the worst thing ever. I never want to watch adult movies ever again. Not knowing that the story is about him springing back to life and getting home and everybody finishes happy ever after. I have to say, I was so traumatised, I didn't watch the movie again for another 10 years. (laughs) I went back and just checked some of the scenes. You know, it still sticks with me today. But here's why it sticks with me. See, other movies from that time, 40 years old, you put them on and they age so, so poorly. You just point, I, I would be ashamed to show them to my children now. That my son would laugh at me and say, how could you ever believe that was real? Can't you see that's somebody swinging on a string? This has stuck with me because what they did with the movies, they created a mechanical puppet that was real. I mean, E.T. is not real, but he is real. It was a real puppet controlled by real people interacting with real people. That puppet through some dodgy internet research I found, sold at some point for $1.5 million at an auction. So somebody has a really, really strange action figure at home. But it sticks with me because they chose to go down a route where the character was real to the extent and purpose that they needed for their story. And it sticks and holds up today as a film because we're all searching for the real. We want to know, even in movie magic, even in life, if I can be honest, what is real and what isn't. You know, in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said what He came to do was to give life and life more abundant. And to us in our language, we hear that word and just think that He's just come to revive us or whatever. But when you dig into the original language, the Bible was originally written in or that section That word life is zoe, and zoe means the real, the genuine, the authentic, the active and the vigorous. And I'm convinced that the best life that any one of us could possibly live is a life that's lived with Jesus because it is the real. It's the real that shows up in the broken world around us. It's the real that shows up in us wherever we're placed and whatever we're journeying through. And when I read the pages of the Scriptures myself, I read accounts of real people, living, breathing people who gave it their all and lived with an authenticity in their pursuit to follow Jesus, to to follow the heart of God no matter what. So I think God's looking for the real ones, the ones that will take the reality of who He is and live with that daily in our lives. I'm convinced that the choice we get to make daily is to choose to show up and be real, 
to be real in our faith and our commitment to follow Jesus no matter what, to be real and allow Jesus to minister to us when we stumble and don't quite have the strength in us to get up, to be real with one another in a way that builds up and empowers one another. See, in a world where things are struggling to be real, where you can watch something on YouTube and not realise you're watching a deep fake of somebody talking, but they've changed their face and their sound. So you're not even sure what you're watching is real. We desperately need to come close to one another and see the real and journey with the real and be a part of the real. Because otherwise we'll be captivated by things that are not real. And things that are not real do not stand the test of time. You know, there's a portion of Scripture that I've been digging into lately in a very small book in the New Testament. It's so small that it doesn't have chapters. If you've ever engaged with the Bible before, you'll notice that things are broken down into chapters and verses. And you know a book is small when it has no chapters, just verses. And the book that I've been digging into is a book called Philemon. Philemon is the account or a letter written by a man named Paul. Paul is in jail. He's in jail not because he's done anything wrong. He's in jail not because he's incited violence. He's in jail not because he's robbed or stolen anything. He's literally in chains because he's given his life to travelling to places where people have never heard about Jesus. And he's given his life to help people meet and encounter God for themselves. He left his homeland and he's travelled out. Some of his account talks about how he's been shipwrecked along the way, how he's been captured by bandits, how he's been beaten. And ultimately in this moment, he's imprisoned. He's imprisoned by the authorities again because he's not inciting violence, but because he's inciting a change in the way of life. He's bringing with him a message that is turning the world upside down. But it's not a revolution that is tearing down structures Physically, it's a revolution that is changing the hearts of people so that they begin to live out of the reality of who God has called them to be. For people who have not known, for people who have not encountered, they suddenly find that there is a God who not just created them, but desperately loves them. And it is changing everything about their communities. And because of that, Paul's locked up. He writes this letter to one of his compatriots, to one of the people that he's partnered with in starting brand new churches, a businessman we believe by the name of Philemon. Philemon is a local church leader. He has a congregation that meets with him. We know that Paul invested into him and Philemon's done exactly what you should do. Freely you receive, freely give. So as he's received the real from Paul, he starts giving the real to others and that's given birth to a church. I do have to just draw attention to the fact that even though we say we're going to church, you are the church. The church is not the four walls of this building. This is simply a meeting room. The church is the people of God who have chosen to step out from death to life and pursue together the journey of seeing the Kingdom of Heaven on earth through our lives. So Philemon has the honour of shepherding, of pastoring, of nurturing a community of people who are learning what it means to be real. And to this letter, to these people, Paul writes this letter. He writes to Philemon about a slave that has run away, a man named Onesimus. Onesimus, 
is a bondservant of Philemon. We don't have bondservants nowadays, thankfully, but bondservants were a normal part of that culture where if somebody was in debt to somebody and had no way of paying off, they could enter into an agreement where they would say, I cannot pay you with money, but I can pay you with my time. So I will serve you for one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, 10 years, whatever is necessary to repay my debt that I cannot pay any other way. And into this group, Philemon has a bondservant named Onesimus who has run away. He has cut and run. He has bailed. He has fled his commitment. And as he's fled, he's run straight into Paul. He's found Paul somewhere along the way. And in that connection with the real, Onesimus has had his life transformed and he's encountered God for himself. But now he's left with the fact of, what do I do now? How do I be real in this moment? So Paul stands in the gap and writes a letter to Philemon and he says, for this reason in Philemon, verse eight and verse 16. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you, Philemon, instead on the basis of love, I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I want you to just notice there how that name's spelled. That's not how I would normally say it, Onesimus. I thought it was one Onesimus. I'm so grateful for audio Bibles. <laughs> because once this thing goes online, my worst pronunciation is out there for life. So grateful for audio Bibles. Don't think for a minute that I naturally knew how to say that name. And if you want to call it one Onesimus, go for it. But Onesimus, I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he was useful both to you and to me. So what does he do? I'm sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. I do have to say that the most powerful gift that God has given any one of us is the ability to choose. I'm convinced that your ability to choose is a gift from the divine directly, that God Himself has empowered every single one of us to make decisions and choose to do either what is good or what is in other interests. And that in choosing to follow, in choosing of our own free will, we partner with God in His goodness and in His power. I didn't want you to do anything without consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but of your own free will. For perhaps this is why He was separated from you for a brief time. So you might get Him back permanently. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave as a dearly loved brother. He's especially so to me, but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Paul sends Onesimus back and he goes back, not as a slave, not as somebody who bailed, but as somebody who presses in and does the journey. I'm convinced that God is looking for the real. And here in this account, I'm challenged by what it means to live like a real one, led by the Holy Spirit. 
The first thought that jumps to mind is that the real ones are all in. The real ones are all in. This story is only made possible because the Apostle Paul, a man who originally, his purpose was to pursue and hunt down Christians and hinder the advancement of the Kingdom of God and stop churches from being made. is somebody that in his own journey had an encounter with the living God as he's travelling to facilitate the capture and potential murder of Christians. It was all recorded in the book of Acts. And as he, this man, Paul, who was then known as Saul, is travelling, he has an encounter with Jesus himself that transforms his entire life. He has an encounter with the real and he cannot deny it. And God in that moment takes Paul on a journey where he is transformed from a vindictive attacker of the things of God to somebody who would give his entire life to see the Kingdom of God advance. Paul became a real one and the real ones are all in. He turned his life upside down. He gave himself completely to sharing with others what God had given him. So the Kingdom of God is not about hoarding. It's not about holding back. It's not about taking, taking, taking. The reality is it's about giving. It's about giving what you receive. And Paul received new life and he gave that life away, no matter what the pressure or circumstances dictated. He's not somebody who looked at the lay of the land and said that it's too hard. He's somebody who lived by his conviction and did what was right no matter what. And so Paul gave himself because he was all in. And I believe more than ever before, we are challenged as people of God to choose to be all in ourselves. See, to be all in, to live all in is not a matter of words, it's a matter of actions. We might say it, but we have to show it. And we show it with one another. We show it with the way that we choose to live in the broken world around us. We show us by not responding or lowering ourselves to the level of those around us, but by bringing up and out the things that God would say to us. We show it by not being those that condemn or crush, but by those who are willing to build up and empower. We show it because we choose to be people who are all in. And it's those that are all in, the real ones, who turn their cultures upside down. The real ones. The second thought that comes to mind out of this Scripture is that the real ones are here for the journey. The real ones are here for the journey. You know, community matters. Doing life together matters. Doing life with one another matters. And it's interesting that Paul in this situation invites Philemon to go back where he had left, to go back into community, to go back into those relationships, to go back into life together. Because in reality, we are called by God to do life together. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 5, as you come to Him, a living stone, Jesus, rejected by people, but chosen and honoured by God. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. That is a picture of the church. 
That's a picture of what Jesus does in and through us, that we are called to be alive and connected. That it's a living stone. The picture is for a culture that would meet God at a physical place, the temple in Jerusalem, where they would see the stones that had been meticulously placed together for what they called was the house of God. That the message of Jesus turns that upside down and says the house of God is not the bricks and mortar that goes around a meeting place, but the house of God is the very living, breathing people. Not isolated, not alone, not a brick or a stone off to the side, but fit together, placed together, made together in all our imperfections, in all our rough edges, in all the things that we need, the connecting through that God has called people of faith to journey with people of faith so that we would be a living, breathing, active, moving temple in our homes, in our workplaces, in our community, that we take what we have and we give it. It says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. I have to say, in the journey, there is grace, both unmerited favour and enabling power. In the journey, there is value. In the journey, there is a place. It's interesting that Philemon began his journey as a slave, as somebody who was bound out of a debt that he could not pay. But through an encounter with Jesus, he's no longer a slave, he becomes a brother, valued, esteemed, engaged with, not at a lower level, but at the same level. So the journey is for us as a church is to choose to journey with one another and place value on each other. You know, the key to the healthiest relationships are where at least one person is willing to give no matter what. Where one person at least is willing to serve and help and assist no matter what because it breaks the culture that we're in where things are seen by what we get out of them instead of what we give into them. You know that when you give value to somebody, even if they do not believe they deserve it, you are doing the very work of God because you are allowing them to see in you and in your actions the value that God Himself has placed on them. That God is calling them up and out, not to live life as a slave, running from one thing to the next, desperately trying to escape a future that they do not want. But instead, we're invited to live as the family of God. A family where we stand with one another and we build up one another and we believe in one another and we encourage one another and we say things like, you can do it and mean it, not just like a Nike slogan, but live it. That we actually give each other courage that we live and breathe encouragement and in that we pour out courage in each other's hearts. That we desperately need this in a world that would seek to isolate and alienate and separate and cast aside. You know, I had the honour of living in Cambodia for a number of years and I had the honour of seeing what people would do in both good times and hard times. That people lived life in community. That nobody would try to process things alone that they would come together and work through life together. And I know in our context, we think that we can handle things ourselves. What if the most powerful thing that we can do 
is run together as the people of God. No matter who is Prime Minister, no matter who's been voted in, no matter the choices made, life does not end. Life is not atrocious. The world will have tribulations, Jesus said, but take heart, He said, I've overcome the world. We can show up no matter what. No matter what our choices were, we can show up together and stand together. And that in fact is how we take ground. As living stones knit together, standing with one another. You know, the most powerful prayer meetings I've ever been a part of have been in connect groups. I love church prayer meetings. I love what we do before every service. We gather here and we pray in this space. I love it that every fortnight on a Wednesday, we meet in our youth hall and we pray together as a church. I love it that every, thir- every second Thursday, we meet and pray in that same spot as a church. But the most powerful prayer meetings I've ever had have been in connect groups where we have known each other and allowed ourselves to be known. That's a powerful thought, to know and to be known. To not run like Onesimus, but to press in like family. Some of the most powerful prayer meetings are when people have poured out what they need, they desperately need. And there's been genuine emotion that we can join with and stand with. We don't run, we press in. The real ones do the journey. And finally, the real ones answer the question by living the answer. Here's a thought I want to give you as we're challenged to live in the real and with the real. There's an account in Scripture in Matthew 16, 13, where Jesus is travelling with His disciples, those who have been closest to Him, those who have partnered with Him, those who have been through every up and down. And He took the time to prepare them for a life lived in the real. And Jesus asks them a question. I believe personally this is the most important question, not just in the Scriptures, but in life. And it's interesting that He didn't tell them the answer. He gave them the opportunity to give the answer. It shows how the heart of God works. Everything is done by partnership. Everything is done by invitation. Everything is done by choice. And He asks a question to those who are closest to Him. And it echoes to us today. In Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In a way that they could understand and engage with, He was actually asking them the question, What do you say about me? Who do you say I am? And I'm convinced with everything that I have that that is the most important question that any one of us can ask today or answer that Jesus would ask us, who do you say I am? Because the way that we answer that question sets up the real. For some of us, maybe we've never answered that question. Maybe we've been aware of church or been around church. Maybe we've never had the opportunity to be put on the spot ourselves and hear the question clearly that Jesus asks us individually. Who do you say I am?
Because we've never been asked, we've never had to give an answer. And that's one of the most powerful things about coming to a meeting place like this is that the question is asked, who do you say Jesus is? See, there's a lot of things out there. He's a wise teacher. He's, some people will say, an ascended master. Some people would say he's a madman. But based on the fact, historical fact of his life and based on the fact that those who followed him, like Paul, were willing to be all in no matter the cost. They didn't get Instagram followers. They weren't influencers. They made no money that allowed them to prosper unnaturally. They gave their lives to be all in because they answered that question for themselves. Who do you say Jesus is? In that moment, when Jesus asked His disciples, they threw out all these different answers that were coming in the community that He's a prophet who's come back to life. He's, he's His own cousin, John the Baptist, which is a really strange answer. And then one of them pipes up and says, the most significant answer in Scripture, Jesus, You are in fact the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. And in that one statement, what He was saying is that you and you alone are the remedy for the world's problems. You and you alone are the remedy for the pain that I feel. You and you alone are the only one who can save and set apart. That word Messiah came to mean both King and Lord. And Jesus redefined it by saying, I am your friend as well. That Jesus is both Lord, somebody worth following. Jesus is both friend, somebody willing to persevere and journey with us. And Jesus ultimately is Saviour, somebody who pays a price for us that we could never pay ourselves. You do not need to fix yourself. You just need to put yourself in a position to allow Jesus to fix you. He does that in community. He does that in community. But I want to acknowledge here right now that some of us have answered that question before but maybe stopped answering it. So the first time I answered that question, who is Jesus? was on the 8th of March in the year 2000. I know it because I prayed a little prayer out the back of a Gideon's Bible that I got given in year seven. And for some reason, I was the only one of my friends that didn't throw it in the bin or burn it with a cigarette lighter. I kept it on my bookshelf. I remember pulling it down off my bookshelf the day that my dad gave his heart to Jesus. I didn't even understand what that was. I've turned it to the back because I didn't know where to start. None of it made any sense to me. And in the back, there was a simple prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And I'd seen the change that had taken hold in my dad that I could not explain in any natural reason. He was real in such a different way. Not perfect, but real. Not running, real. Changed his entire life because I saw that in him. I wanted that for me. I prayed a prayer at the back of a Gideon's Bible, asking Jesus to do to me what He did to my dad. And He did, He did, He did, He did, He did, He did. It was as if Jesus walked into my room, sat down next to me and hugged me. And I could not explain it. I'd never been to church before. I had no idea. I grew up watching ET. Didn't even know a Christian. But the real invaded my world. And I answered that question for the first time, the 8th of March in the year 2000, after we survived Y2K and the world did not end. But you know what? We need to keep on answering that question. 
the real ones answer that question with the way they live their lives. For me, that was not a one-time decision. You know, it's a daily choice. Who is Jesus to you? He's still worth following every day. He's still saving. He's still fixing. He is still renewing. He loves you and pursues you with an everlasting love. He will never turn His back on you. He will not betray you. He will establish you and make you firm. And if you keep on answering the question, He'll keep on journeying with you. Churches, we're called to thrive. We're called to do it together. And we're called to champion one another and celebrate. And the thing that binds us is that we follow Jesus. So I'm gonna ask a question as we bring this to a close. Who do you say Jesus is? If you have answered that question before, but you know that it's been a long time since, you have two options. When we worship, in a moment, you have an opportunity to make your place where you are a meeting ground with heaven and earth and renew that relationship. To say sorry to God for forgetting it or being distracted from it or losing the fact that it's the most real thing in the world and take the moment to meet again. For some of you, to do that, you might need to get out of your seat and get on the altar and put feet to the moment and make it fresh. In a moment too, I'm gonna ask the question, if you have yet to make that decision for yourself, I wanna give you an opportunity, both here in the room and online, to say yes for yourself. And for those of us who are living, breathing in the real, I wanna encourage you to take what you receive and give it to others. It's not meant to be held back. It's not meant to be hoarded. Here's how you become rich in the Kingdom of God, give. It's so opposite to the way of the world where we think that we have to save and lock away and protect and hoard. But the way things work in the Kingdom of God for those who are truly rich is that they continually give of themselves. But they give of themselves in a way where they don't deplete themselves. They give of themselves in a way where they're completely dependent on receiving from God everything that they need. See, it's in the act of giving that it makes us dependent and we have to live a surrendered life. And so church, as we move forward, let's thrive as people who answer the question, who is Jesus? He is Lord, He is friend, He is Saviour. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.